All right, special interview here. One of my favorites. Been trying to get this on for just a bit, but we got sportscaster from the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Uh, also the voice of Alabama basketball, Alabama baseball, also the host of the Nick Saban Show and the Nate Oates Show. Chris Stewart joining us. Chris, how we doing, man? Dave, I'm great, man. It's good to hear from you. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, no, man. It's my pleasure. I know uh, I, I got me and you talked off, off air a little bit. Worked at the University of Alabama hey, since I can remember. I, I vaguely remember your first broadcast for basketball in Alabama. It was in New York. I think Madison Square Garden. Was it Mo good Williams memory. and them against Oklahoma? I was in middle school at the time. Don't yeah, just stab me right in the chest with that one. I appreciate it. Uh, and the funny thing is, is Mo Williams, who was coming off freshman of the year in the SEC, Irwin Dudley was coming off being Player of the Year, and I just heard from Irwin talk with him this morning. As a matter of fact, and, he's with the uh, team now, isn't he? And he worked helping with the team. Irwin Irwin does a a, a lot of stuff. Stays busy. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. You may have you've given me something to check on. We didn't get to talk long, and that may have been what he was calling me about, but. Anyway, Mo was, you know, coming off SEC Player of the Year, and Mark Godfrey had just been named Coach of the Year in the SEC. And here I am the next season, and it's my very first game. And uh, I'm 32 years old. I've never been to New York City in my life. And I walk into Madison Square Garden with a bag on my shoulder and suit and tie, and a guy named Dave Woloshin, who is now in about his, I don't know, 35th or more season is the voice of the Memphis Tigers was uh, a friend of mine then, but did not know that I'd gotten the job. I'd known him from my work at UAB. And and here I am. It's it's two games taking place. There was a doubleheader. Uh, Syracuse and Bayheim taking on Cal and Memphis in game one of our doubleheader. It's us in Oklahoma in the second, but I'm getting there early. And uh, well, Ocean's about to go on the air with the tip for the game. And Dave... Dave takes the headset off and turns. He goes, Chris, what are you doing here? And I said, Dave, I'm the voice of the Alabama Crimson Tide, and I'm as stunned by that fact as you are. <laughs> so uh, I've been telling people for 21 years now that Carmelo Anthony and I debuted at the Garden on the same night. Things went a little better for him than they have for me, but it's uh, it was still a really cool experience. No, that's awesome. And honestly, I think I speak – I don't want to speak for the whole Alabama fans, but – I. I think you're one of the guys out there in the industry that like people resonate with now with Alabama basketball, Alabama baseball. And last year, we'll get to it in a bit. Like you've taken over, uh, unfortunately, during for Eli Gold's situation. But yeah, I think everybody just loves how passionate uh, you actually bring a feel from a fan, like, from a true fanatic standpoint. Like man, you just feel when you and Passink and all of them kind of talking about. I'll be honest with you, I go back and watch the highlights, and then I'll go listen to the audio uh, of the highlights after each game. Just get you fired up, especially if you're a big Alabama fan. But, Chris, you know what? Just kind of start off how your career started in broadcasting. Where did you first, where'd you go to school? Just kind of st- take us through those steps of people who may be listening, trying to go to the same career path. Yeah, and I appreciate the kind words. I will say that it's, it's genuine because I've been a Bama fan since I was a kid. My earliest memories are being an Alabama fan. So, um, you know, my job is to tell the story of what's happening in the game. But I've never once anywhere I've been been told that I, I couldn't be happy if things were going well for my team and I couldn't be dejected if things weren't going well for my team. And in the case of Alabama, it's my team. You know, it, it, it's not my school. I don't have a degree from there. I've been unbelievably fortunate. The National Alumni Association has made me an honorary alum. Um, 
I've had some local chapters that have done the same. Um, they've even made me a, a, an honorary member of the A club, the Letterman's club. So a guy with virtually no athletic ability is a Letterman with a Crimson Tide, which is beyond cool. So they made it. It has become my team, my school yeah. over the years, uh, even though I, I, I don't have a degree from there. But, yeah, that's where the passion comes from. And it goes back to my childhood. And, um, you know, I wanted to be I've told people for years that that I'm told that when I was a kid that I said I wanted to be Coward Hosell because I was so young. That's what I thought Howard Cosell's name was, Coward Hosell. Uh, and I had it backwards and probably choosing him as a model would have been a, 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 uh, a backwards thing anyway, because I hope my style is not like his. But just he was the guy that was the sportscaster nationally when I was a kid. I mean, I, I didn't go to bed. I, I could stay up on Monday nights uh, as, a, as a small child in elementary school. My, my parents would let me stay up through Howard's showing in narration of the halftime highlights on Monday night football. And I was pulling for always for a long first half and then for Howard to go long on the highlights so I could stay up longer. But that's what sports was to me. And then I got the opportunity. Uh, you know, I was not a, I was not a great player by any stretch, but I played basketball at Central Park Christian School. Uh, which gave me an opportunity to be in sports and be around the game and learn the game a little bit, which I think helped give me some credibility with coaches when I got into college at the University of Montevallo. They were great to me, broadcast uh, University of Montevallo games for four years as an undergraduate on a, a cable, a local cable access channel that was run by the university before the internet, before there was such a thing as streaming video. It was local cable and uh, I was awful, and I got a chance to make a ton of mistakes in front of a very small audience before I started making all of my mistakes that I do now in front of a very large audience. But it was it was great training, great opportunity. It fed uh, what I the belief that man, this is really what I want to do. I fell in love with it the first time I did a game, even though I was horrible. Um, I. I made the mistake of uh, showing my wife a video of me anchoring a sports cast from my senior year. She didn't know me in college. She's only known me the last 21 years, I guess. And, and she had never seen me in college. And I showed that to her and she started to hemorrhage. She was laughing so hard because she goes, you were so country. I said, baby, that's my senior year. You want to see bad? You want to see country? Check out that freshman year stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was a great opportunity. And then from there, uh, and I'll, I'll fast forward because I didn't mean to go this long, but oh, no, you're fine. Got that, the same local cable access deal gave me chances with um, high school basketball in the Birmingham area, high school football in the Birmingham area. Uh, Birmingham Southern coach Dwayne Rebull saw me doing those gave me an opportunity to do uh, their radio broadcast, which led to an eight-year run with them. I also got to do work with UAB. I was their very first sideline guy. Watson Brown gave me an incredible opportunity, made me the first ever sideline reporter when they first went Division One in, in 1A football. 
So I got a chance to be in that environment a little bit and was their fill-in guy when Gary Sanders would move over to do TV broadcast. I'd go to the booth and do radio play-by-play. So uh, just a number of opportunities, but there was one in particular, a little local cable access channel that I mentioned gave me a chance with high school football. They got the opportunity and the rights to do tape delay broadcast for Alabama-Auburn-UAB games, which had not been done when, within the state of Alabama. This is before ESPN uh, Classic really got going and ESPN started showing replays and realizing that there's a market for people to rewatch games that that they'd watched live. Um, that's a regular occurrence now. You flip on, you know, any time of year, you, especially during the summer, you're going to see replay broadcast. But that was unheard of 25 years ago. Yeah. For somebody to, to do that. And, and we got that chance. And I got in doing really Alabama, Auburn, and UAB games, but mostly Alabama and then baseball. Uh, an opportunity was given for me to join David Crane on the baseball broadcast. Three years later, they gave me the the basketball radio play-by-play job. I've been involved with football in various roles for close to 25 years as well. And I have to pinch myself all the time that I get the opportunity that I do where I get the opportunity. And I've joked, but I guess I mean this seriously. If I ever learn how to read, I'm going to write a book. And it's it's going to involve somehow dominoes. Yeah. My grandfather, my grandfather used to love to play dominoes and I would watch him as a little boy. I never really learned how to play the game. But while he would play, I would take some and I would stack them. You know, you lay one up and one falls into the other, into the other, into the other. Yeah. And that's how my career has been. You know, I've had one domino fall into another one. You know, that could be people that could be opportunities. And, and one has fallen right into the other for me, and I can find each of those. And I'm so grateful that that's been the case and that so many people have poured into me and given me the opportunities they have. No, I mean, I, from what I can see from a 35,000-foot view, you've taken advantage of every one of those opportunities. I think I speak for a lot of people that have kept up with your work. I mean, like I said, I grew up a big Alabama fan. Uh, like I said, I remember your first broadcast. Probably didn't know who you were at the time, Dave, in sixth grade, listening to an Alabama or a, uh, Oklahoma basketball game. Who did Chris? Who did basketball before you? Was it Eli? It was Eli. Yeah, Eli yeah. did it for roughly fifteen years. I don't know, twelve, fifteen years, somewhere in that range. He followed Paul Kennedy just, and he actually followed Paul on basketball for a season before he followed Paul on the football broadcast. I believe. Gotcha. Um, and before Paul, it was Doug Layton that did yep. the games. So. That's a crazy thing to think about, and it kind of crossed my mind a couple of years ago. Holy cow, nobody has broadcast more Alabama basketball games than I have, and I've only been at it, I guess, 21 seasons, but nobody's done more of those, and probably nobody's done more baseball than I have either, and that's uh, that's not an indication of anything other than that there's more and more gray in this weak attempt at a beard I've put together during the summer. <laughs> Well, transition a little bit, just a little bit more for you, a personal matter. And I know all the Alabama fans, Alabama family had you in thoughts and prayers from, what was it, 2000, I think I was, you had, what, three major surgeries in about like a year span just between 20, the stroke? Yeah, 2018, uh, I'd just come back from Texas A&M baseball series on the road. And on a Sunday night, I had a stroke uh, in my sleep. It was It was a miracle that I even survived it. 
because of some confusion as to what it was. It's rare to have a stroke in your sleep. And there was a, frankly, a, a late emergency diagnosis that that's what I actually was dealing with or my, that first responders and all were dealing with. And it took quite a while. Normally the timeline where it took them to find out what was wrong. You're normally in a state after a stroke where you never fully recover. You, you never are a hundred percent again. And in fact, there's a much, much, much higher percentage that you would simply die. And so for me to have lived, but 11 months after the stroke to literally have no issues, no ill effects whatsoever that were noticeable, um, was beyond a miracle. Uh, I'd had a left eye muscle that drooped for 11 months, but after 11 months, I didn't have to wear a patch. I didn't have to have scotch tape over my left eye to basically serve as a patch when I wore my glasses or, or a true patch when I wore contacts. It was done. But the same doctor that saved my life with the stroke in a social setting five months after that, so really 16 months after the stroke itself occurred, a uh, physician named Jay Sharma, who had become my friend in a in a social gathering, diagnosis that when I told him I felt a little tingling in my arm on occasion, that that was a heart issue and I needed to get looked at. Well, I did. And thank God I did, because I had 95 percent blockage in what's termed as the widow maker. And I was headed towards a massive heart attack that probably would have killed me. Um Instead, I had bypass surgery that was a success, but unfortunately, a week later or so, I developed an infection uh, that put me back into the hospital for 91 days, pneumonia, sepsis, MRSA, rhabdomyolysis, my liver, my kidneys, my lungs, pancreas, every major organ, they said, began to shut down. I went from 165 pounds to 115 pounds. Uh, my wife called my closest friends and said, you need to come tell him goodbye. He's not going to make it. That's how sick I was. And by the grace of God, and I mean that literally, I don't say it flippantly. Um, I was able to two and a half months at Brookwood Hospital in Birmingham, followed by three more weeks at Spain Rehabilitation in Birmingham, in inpatient therapy, followed by several weeks and, and months of outpatient therapy after that. Um, I was able to walk again. I was home. I was fine. And, um, uh, now here I am three and a half years removed, I guess, from the, uh, almost coming up on four years from the bypass. Um, I'm fine. I'm playing the best golf I've played since I was in college, which, uh, is mainly attributable to the fact I've got a 12 year old who's dang good. And if I ever want to beat him, I better be at my best. So, to see me now, you would have no clue that I'd gone through any of that. And you were kind enough to say, and I know you mean it sincerely, that you you know prayed for me. And I know that there are many, many others that did. And it's the only explanation logically for me to be doing as well as I am is, is prayer. And uh, I'm beyond grateful for it. Well, again, Chris, we're glad, we're glad you're here. How did that specific situation you feel like, you know, we all get caught up in the day-to-day -day with our work or even as coaches, just being that side of you thinking winning the game or being great at your job is the most important thing in the world. 
how did that transform your thought process after going through something as traumatic as that to your everyday, how you approach your job, how you yeah. approach life in general? Dave, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody that enjoys what they do for a living, uh, whatever it may be, whatever level of enjoyment there may be. Uh, I'm as guilty as most of putting way too much into the job and neglecting things that really matter, primarily your, your family. And um, I'm not going to say that I, I stopped caring about my job because that's not true. The, the job was huge in terms of helping me feel normal again and getting back to um, being able to do day-to-day things that made me mentally feel normal again. It was huge for me to go back and do games, okay, when I did. Uh, I got out the day before Thanksgiving 2019, and on January 4th of 2020, I'm in Gainesville, Florida, doing Alabama-Florida basketball. And the fact that I could do it was huge, huge. Um, But that being said, um, and I've, I've had several people who have said, this to me and they have the best of intentions and there's probably a time that they were 100% accurate, but they'll say, I know you're glad to be back because I know you love your job. And now I'm able to say without reservation, I like my job. I am beyond grateful for my job. I'm so thankful for my employer and for the people specifically that I work for, but I don't love my job. I love my family and that's what's most important to me. Uh, That doesn't mean I've got everything figured out at home. I got a, I got a wife and three kids who'll tell you that, that I fail at that still miserably from time to time. But in my heart, what truly matters to me most, I appreciate my job. It's how I care for them, but it is not the most important thing in my life. Absolutely. No, I, I think we all struggle with that a little bit. You think you day to day, your job's most important, your raise, whatever it may be. And then you have something like as traumatic as what you've had to deal with that most people haven't kind of puts things into perspective. But I was going to ask, moving a little bit more towards the sports side of things. We also had a tragedy yeah. or an unfortunate event. I've, I've watched interviews, seeing you say it in articles and you say it best. You were so grateful for the opportunity to call Alabama football last year, but it was un- not under the circumstances you would like. What was it like just taking over? Probably wasn't the year Alabama as a football team overall wanted last year. I think everybody can agree. But what was it like taking over for a legend? It's been the voice of the Crimson Tide football for years. What was it like sitting in that seat for a full 13 games last year? Well, it was – I was beyond honored that they would ask me. Like you said, I hated that my services were needed because I know know what the job means to Eli. I know how much Eli loves calling the games. I know know what – that position means to him. And I know how much missing a game, let alone a season, would bother him. Uh, At the same time, I was grateful that I could return a favor that Eli had done for me, along with Roger Hoover and Jim Dunaway, all three of whom, and if I'm leaving somebody out, I apologize. But those are three that I know basically filled in for me in my various roles with Crimson Tide Sports Network when I had to be out for the 2019 football season and the start of basketball. They uh, they pinch hit for me 
and it was appreciated. And Eli was among those who did. So to be able to, in essence, return the favor, I was glad that I could. I was glad to do it. From a from a very selfish standpoint, uh, it was really, really cool to do Alabama football. Uh, and there were there were other ties to it as well. The 8A game where I first filled in for him was at that time, I think four years to the day that I actually had my stroke. So there was symbolism there. The, the iron bowl game that I did was three years to the day. I think that was my last full day at Spain rehab. You know, it was basically day 90 of a 91 day stay. It was, the anniversary of of that so to be able to to be able to do the games and then you know again the the standard is so high that it's um you know people won't remember uh as fondly this past season as it probably should be remembered but also as much as the other games have been but for me personally to get to call a win at texas to get to to do that dramatic win, even though all Bama people wanted to beat A&M by 75 that day because of what had happened in the previous yeah. offseason. But uh, still, to win that one in that fashion, as dramatically as it was, it was a special one to get to call. Um, Tennessee and LSU stunk, even though there were moments in both of those games that if Bama wins, they're going to be really calls. Uh Yeah, well – and uh, and then to do a Sugar Bowl game, and especially a Sugar Bowl win. You know, my earliest memories as a kid, or my first memory as a kid watching a game would be Liberty Bowl, I think, 76. But of the biggest games, the ch- championship games, I mean, that's that's the, the Sugar Bowl wins, the ones over Penn State. And, and it's not the same when you beat Kansas State right now, but it was still special. And really, really grateful and glad that I got the opportunity to do it. Uh, people were extremely kind about the work that I did. You know, and there's an element of this too professionally. And and the last thing I'll say about it is you can always believe in your mind that you can do something. But until you do it, you never really know. And I'll let others determine the the level at which I called the games, you know, what they think of that, that's for other people to determine. But in my own heart, uh, if I never call another Alabama football game, I'll know I can do it, you know, at a, at a level that, that the job deserves because of Eli, because of Paul Kennedy, because of John Forney, Maury Farrell, uh, all of whom have done network games over the last really 60-plus years. I think further than that, when I think about it, we're coming up on uh, probably about 70 years that I just referenced in all of that. Um, At least I know in my heart I can do it. If Mm -hmm. I never do it again, I'm I'm at peace with that. And I'm grateful I was given that chance. I mean, you did a phenomenal job, everybody. I mean, I know you're saying you don't really care. You know you can do it. But everybody I've talked to, that man, he's plugged in play right there. It's like we really didn't miss a beat. So. You did a phenomenal job last year. But transitioning to 23, we talked a little bit. I asked you off air, how often are you in Tuscaloosa this time of year in the summer? And you said you took your daughter to uh, Bama, Bama Bound. 
Now, I'm sure you've talked to some people uh, around the program, the football program going into the 2023 season. A lot, a lot of new faces. We got new coordinators, Tommy Reese, yeah. Kevin Steele's back. Uh, there'll be a new starting quarterback. Gathering last week from stuff you know or from what, listening to SEC Media Days last week with Coach Saban, what's kind of the vibe with this team this year, you feel like, going into 2023? I think it's kind of a new challenge for them that it, they're not under they're not under the radar. People are still picking out they want to go to the playoffs in the West. But it's not as for Alabama, right. they're coming in a little disrespected, I feel like, from their mindset. Sure. No, I understand. Real quick, uh, in case they watch this, I will clarify. My daughter's just graduated from Bama. Sorry. And sorry. My, no, you don't know you don't owe me an apology. I'm just trying to make sure in case they watch, I don't get in trouble with my 18-year-old son <laughs> who starts. So gotcha. it's the boy that's going in. My daughter just graduated, but it is a uh, it's a season where you're right. The the talk is different, which in my opinion is just fantastic from the Alabama perspective. Because these guys that were already motivated, they have their own internal motivation to be great anyway, also get that external motivation of feeling like, oh. You think we're only fifth in the country. Oh, you you, you think we're off the grid now as far as what we've been. Um, that easily is being used as motivation, you know, especially in the offseason. That's when you need it. You don't need that as much once you get into the season. The, I'm not going to say the haze in the barn, but um, you, you pretty much are who you are when you get – into the year mm -hmm. but when when you're when you're having to run and do all the seven on seven and and weightlifting and training and everything that that's not glamorous there there aren't a hundred thousand people for national television to watch that that's when those type things are very helpful to help push you along and to motivate you even further and yeah i look this team's gonna be i think this team has a chance to be great and i and i say this to every alumni group, basically, that I speak to in interviews like this. I've said it for years, and it's the only, maybe the only halfway decent thing I say, but I'm, I'm, I believe in this. You've got to be good to be in the conversation for a championship at the start of the year. you got to be great to be in the mix late. But the truth is, you got to be lucky to win the whole thing. Now, you better be great. But you also better be lucky. We've experienced that at Alabama. Mm -hmm. Even the perfect seasons uh, that have occurred, a couple of them, there are things you can point to. It's like, caught a break there. There have been yeah. seasons where we had a loss and still got to the national championship game and won it. Um, so those are things. And luck can be a bounce going your way. It can be having uh, your your team's off day against a team whose best day still isn't good enough to beat you. It could be injury situation, uh, any of those things that still fall into the category of being lucky or being fortunate, if you don't want to say luck. So um, that that's what determines, to me, whether you win the whole dadgum thing, you better be good early. You better be great through the year, but you better be lucky too. And hopefully, in addition to being great, Alabama will become very fortunate as well and be in the mix and have a chance to win the whole thing again. No, you're right. I feel like 
from a fortune standpoint, you talk about injuries. I mean, stuff you know, when people are making preseason predictions and stuff, you're not really taking into account the well, the starting right tackle doesn't get a lot of publicity. He goes down. We don't really have a lot of depth behind that. Not speaking Alabama, just you universally, right. any team. You yeah. just you don't have that depth, and I don't think people really see that all the time. But you're right, injury luck. Heck, I remember when I was in college in Alabama 2011, 12, as you remember, we lost games. Alabama lost games, and they needed, if I remember right, uh, Lane Kiffin USC team to go beat Oregon. Uh, who was it that beat Baylor that year? Or Baylor had to go beat Kansas State in 2012 to let Alabama kind of get back. Like you said, sometimes it's yeah. like everybody talking Georgia this year. I think their first 12 games are not overly challenged. That Knoxville trip could be one, but you talk to some Georgia people, and they're exactly repeating what you're saying, Chris. Yeah, we think we're probably better than most people, and we like our positions from top to bottom, but sometimes you just never know. Like them escaping Ohio State last year, a game they easily sure. were fortunate to win. It's like you said, we get in the yeah. playoffs, we don't play our best game, someone else is, we're out sitting there at 13 and one. Like you just, like you said, it, it, you need a lot to happen for you, a lot, some, a lot of the ball, the ball to break the right, the right way for you to ultimately win that championship. You hit hammer on the head with that. Sure. Yeah. But, Moving on, really, we're I, – I, I love you to death is the radio broadcast for Alabama. What is the basketball – what's kind of the feel with basketball heading into 23-24? I know, again, you're not in Tuscaloosa a lot. A lot of new faces yeah. on that roster, but they're practicing. Anything you're hearing that you, you're willing to share with us? It's so uh, – it's a whole lot better than people thought it was going to be about three months ago, man, because think about what – you never know how it's going to play out. Um. But here we were, what, three months ago, and Nate Oates had lost three assistants that had been with him for four years. Mm -hmm. Um, He lost virtually all of his roster, either to graduation, to draft, or transfer portal. And he has rebuilt that with a really impressive staff and a roster that has veteran talent on it, proven talent, and – is probably going to be in the top 15 of every preseason ranking as those come out, uh, or top 20, I think, at a minimum, and have a chance to be as good at the end of the year or even better than last year's team was. Now, let me be real clear. The record for that team and what all they accomplished was a historically great team for the University of Alabama. But I don't feel like they were playing their best basketball towards the end. Uh, they weren't bad, but they weren't as good as they would like to be. And I think all of the the weight of everything that had been on them for virtually the the entire back half of that season finally took its toll. Bad game against the wrong opponent, which ultimately was a Final Four team, national championship game team. So they've got uh, that's a lot to replace. That being said, on paper, uh, this has a chance to be another great team and another very, very exciting season for Alabama basketball. Yeah, no, I I feel like Coach Oates really has that thing rolling. It's like you said, back in what, June, I feel like kind of after the whole – you lose the coaches, you saw that coming before the game, and then Charles Bediaco decided sure. he's going to stay in the draft – then yeah. I think at some point, by the time JQ kind of announced Javon Quinterly, I think he kind of felt good about the roster. You thought he may be a part of that. But I think Betty Ocko right. was kind of the one where it's like from a national perspective, people are like, gosh, I mean, he was their best def- their best defender supposed to be back. Sure. Three coaches, can you replace it? But I'm with you. I th- I could see this team not having 
obviously the same accolades. Uh, they probably the overall record, but it wouldn't shock you if this team, and again, it's tough to say, I don't know who Alabama will be playing in the NCAA tournament. Nobody does. You, it's all about matchups. But it wouldn't shock you if this team went a little further. And I, I mean, there's not a lot further you can go without going to the Final Four, but it wouldn't shock you if this team was playing, as you stated, Chris, their best basketball at the end of the year next year with some more veteran presence. Dave, here's the key, though. You you just kind of glossed over a, a, a point as you said that. By the time that you said, by the time they get to the NCAA tournament, well, I've done games at Alabama for 21 seasons on radio now. There, and there have been a bunch of NCAA tournaments, but it, there was there was a pretty good drought there for a while. Okay, um, and to to almost speak of going to the tournament as a given tells you just how far he's brought the program during his time in Tuscaloosa. You know, yep. his first year, his first year, the COVID year, you know, they were probably not going to make it, but who knows what would have happened. In the had to make a, had, probably had to make a run in the SEC tournament. Uh, may have had to win the whole thing, get the automatic bid. But, yeah. you know, we'll never know because it's just like, like Dayton can sit there and go, we'd have won the national championship. We only had the one loss. Okay, may have. Nobody's going to argue it because you never got to play it. Yeah. We can yeah. say the same thing, but still, the point is you take that out of the mix because it wasn't a full season. The guy's been phenomenal in what he's accomplished since then. And, you know, two SEC titles in three years, tournament titles as well, the the – the season sandwiched in between, um, you know, you were still a really good squad in a, in a, in a six seed in the NCAA tournament, uh, even though you lost that first round game to Notre Dame. So there have been some great things done already. And I think the future, as long as that guy's there, is nothing but bright. Chris, question for you here, too. I mean, you have a Rolodex of memories, especially from Alabama basketball, Alabama baseball. You grew up an Alabama fan, even football. But specifically at this point, basketball. We talked about a lot of great moments from the NATO era, how he's got the program rolling right now. But what is your favorite, just you calling a game, favorite basketball game memory at Alabama? It may not, it may not even be from the NATO era. It could be from the Anthony Grant, Avery Johnson, uh, Mark Godfrey area, the eras. Yeah. What game stands out to you the most that you're like, man, I'll never forget that? You know, there's uh, there's quite a few, but there are a couple that uh, I do get asked about a lot. and Or maybe the first one doesn't get asked about a lot, but you were kind enough to bring it up. And, and so you could tell by the way I told the story that getting to sit down that first time um, to, to do a game at the Garden, which was the first time I'd ever been to New York, so obviously the first time at MSG and – and I'm the voice of the tide. That was that was beyond cool. It's awesome. And we won. When we won, that makes it. That's what helped make it even more meaningful. But probably Trevor Relliford's midcourt buzzer beater to knock off Texas in the final home game of the regular season. I forgot even which year it was. Twelve or, or yeah. fourteen, whatever it was. Um, that was the 100th year of Alabama basketball, and we're going to have a a big celebration afterwards. Every We've been talking about this all through the year, celebrating the 100th season throughout the year. But after this final home game, there's going to be a reception afterwards for all former players, coaches, managers, anybody that ever had a, a part of Alabama basketball in the past is, is going to stick around after the game. And we're going to have a, 
basically a party to celebrate it for the people that really were Alabama basketball for the last hundred years. And it looked in the first half like it was going to be a fantastic, fun celebration. We're a bubble team for the NCAA tournament. We're up 20 early in the second half. And then all of a sudden, it's a tie game with eight seconds to go. There's a timeout, and George is about to have the ball. And instead of being the MC for a party, I'm going to be the, delivering the eulogy at a funeral because then nobody's going to want to celebrate. It's going to keep us from going to the NCAA tournament. It's blown 20-point loss. It's going to be such a horrible way for that game and that season to end. And then all of a sudden, Charles Mann loses the ball on the way in because Nick Jacobs got in the right defensive position, maybe for the only time during that season. Uh, Mann loses the ball. Rodney Cooper picks it up, says, I don't want it, flips it to Trevor Relliford, who had the, the presence to take one look at the clock, take maybe two dribbles, and then hurl one towards the basket that was not a throw. It wasn't a heave. It was the most beautiful in-motion rhythmic shot with perfect rotation. And as I've gone back and watched it, the, it's so amazing to watch because the whole place, and it's a packed building, goes dead quiet. I mean, it's almost like a movie where you're watching the ball you know, from Hoosiers. The ball's in flight. Yeah. Not a sound is being made. Everybody's holding their breath. And it didn't just go in. It it found nothing but the bottom of the stack. And the place just exploded. Myself included. I went nuts, lost my mind, just as everybody else was. But I have so many people still to this day that talk about that that shot and I guess my losing my mind in the process. That one even though it didn't result in a championship, hey, we wound up not even going to the tournament yeah. that year. But it was a really cool, special, meaningful game that I get asked about quite a bit. Yeah, and I think probably for you, I'm not speaking for you, it probably added the fact that it's so memorable is because you're like, what's going to happen afterwards, right? This could go, like you said, a eulogy or this could be a major celebration. Oh, yeah. Teams in the bubble, you still see your NCAA tournament hope still in front of you. It's like, Obviously, you ended up celebrating like that. Anybody who ever touched Alabama basketball, it was still present. But yeah, I could totally see why that game stuck with you for sure because all the change okay. of momentum, the highs and lows, and then what happened after. Right. Staying a little bit basketball a little bit. We'll go to Nick Saban here a little bit too here, Chris. If you're willing to share, what is your favorite Nick Saban and Nate Oates story? You just individually with them, if you wouldn't mind sharing. I'll, I'll go Coach Saban first. Um, and it's really not – it's semi-game related, but it, it's more on a personal note. Um, my first year to do Coach's TV show was also my first year of doing the sidelines on the radio broadcast. And the second game of that season, we're playing at State College, playing Penn State. Joe Paterno still the head coach. The scandal broke later in that year, but it had not occurred at that time. So he's still the head football coach. Um, Alabama wins. We still didn't know who or what Alabama was at that time. It turned out that A.J. McCarron solidified winning the starting job that year. 
over Phil Sims, and then of course mm-hmm. Bama went on to win the national championship. But you don't know any of that at the time. But you're just excited because Bama has won at Penn State, and Nick Saban and I are doing a TV show together for just the third time. And prior to that, I had had exactly that much small talk with a man. It was yeah, it was less than zero. It was all business, but. Tom Roberts was still working with us at the network at the time. He was the producer of the TV show, and we taped it out on the field at at Beaver Stadium after the win. And Tom is getting the microphones on on me and on Coach. And I thought, you know, I've got about thirty seconds, and I'm going to take it. I'm gonna, I'm going to swing right here and see if I can, I can get anything out of him. I said, Coach, I said I've got three kids, and my um, my older son is uh, six years old. And I said, Sunday night, I'm watching last week's TV show. And uh, while I'm watching it, he comes into the room, plops down on the couch next to me, sees you and I on the screen together, and he goes, hey, Dad, you're talking to Nick Saban. And Coach grins, and I, and I tell him that I said, yes, son, I am. Parker's eating popcorn and he takes another bite or two and just nods his head and he goes, cool. Next time you see him, tell him I said hello. <laughs> and coach starts reacting the way you did. Coach starts laughing and, and uh, I said, okay, Parker, I, I will. I said, so coach Parker says hello. And he grinned and he goes, well, you tell Parker, I said, hello. I said, coach, you got it. And about that time, uh, Tom Roberts finishes with the microphones and I go right into the show and we start from there. It was just a, it was just a cool little personal moment. And there are a couple yeah. others like that, that, that was neat, but that was, that was one of the first human moments Interactions. I that I had with coach. Right. And I will say since then, the man's been phenomenal. When I had my, my, my worst health situation, he recorded a message after one of the games and, and made sure it got to me, and and I've still got that in my possession. It means a lot. But along the same lines, Nate Oates' first year, he has not coached a game yet. Um, it's probably a month and a half before the season's going to tip off. I'm in the hospital. I'm in a bad spot. I do not feel well. Uh, I'd only been around Nate a half dozen times max, max six times. But I'm laying in the in the hospital bed, and, and I'm supposed to go to therapy that day. And, and a friend who's with me comes in and says, hey, you're not going to therapy. And I said, well, good. I don't feel like going to therapy. And he said, yeah, you're not going because you got company. And he stepped out of the way. And Nate Oates, Kyra Lewis, and Herb Jones walk into my room there at Brookwood. And um, they had come into town for SEC basketball media days, Nate's first basketball media days and he brings those two kids in who i had developed a little, little bit of a relationship with because i'd done their games mm-hmm. you know the previous well in herb's case since he was a freshman and in Kyra's year case the previous year because it was only year two for Kyra. but um they uh they walk in and they spend an hour with me he brings them into town an hour before Frankly, what was the biggest media session he had had other than his introductory press conference in Tuscaloosa? Yeah. And for him to do that, I, I, I told people after that, I said, I don't know if the guy can coach a lick, but I know who he is. 
and it meant the world to me. And um, he has proven to be obviously a phenomenal coach, but he's got a heart of gold as well. And I, I'm very grateful to him and for him. And um, it makes what I do in my role professionally all the more enjoyable that I get a chance to work with people like Coach Saban and Coach Evans. Man, oh yeah, those are two awesome stories there, Chris. Like you said, kind of getting a feel for them both is off the field, off the court. Right. Guys right there, more than, more than coaches, great people as well. So two more questions, Chris, before we get you out of here again. Appreciate you joining us. Just I know we just, Alabama just hired a new baseball coach. Rob Bond came over from Maryland. Yeah. What's kind of some initial thoughts on him? I know he's, he's a young cat. Uh, they lost some guys to the portal. He's replaced some guys at the portal, too. What's, what's kind of yeah. your thoughts uh, on that hire heading into next year? It, it, candidly, I've only been around him one time, and that was at his press conference. And it was funny. I met him in the hallway outside the uh, – the room where they hold the press conference and where Coach Saban's press conference is every week. But uh, I met him in the hallway and uh, I joked with him. I said, it's about time I get to meet you. I've literally spent the last hour and a half with your whole family because I've been invited to to sit in a conference room there uh, outside of Greg Burns' office and have lunch with with his dad, his mom, his wife, and his kids. And it was really cool to get to know them and spend some time with them. I said, but it's about time I finally get to meet you. I said, I think, I said, I think your dad and I've already got golf lined up and, and uh, may have found him a house in Birmingham too, but he was, he was great. And I really enjoyed what I heard. Uh, I like what I've heard since. I will tell you that one of the things that, that was exciting to me Besides the fact that he kept Jason Jackson, which was a huge deal, the fact that he not just that he wanted to keep him, but that he could keep him yeah. shows the commitment that that's been made. Because JJ's phenomenal and did an unbelievable job as the as the interim coach during the the chaos of last year to to get us back to a super for only the second time in the last twenty two years, mm-hmm. uh, more than that last twenty. Let me let me back off. I went too far back. I guess it's twenty ten. It was yeah. just the second time it happened. Well, Mitch Gaspard, who, of course, former assistant and head coach at Alabama, still mm-hmm. a very dear friend. I keep in touch with Mitch. And uh, something that was huge for me about Rob Vaughn is I sent him a text after the the press conference. I let a day or two pass, and I said, what do you think? And he replied back, great hire. Don't know him, but Mitch, after he left Alabama, spent two years at Kansas State as an assistant. And there are a lot of people still there in Manhattan who remember Rob from his playing days and and know him and raved about him, you know, as a person as well as a coach. And he said, everything I've seen, everything I've heard, he said, I think it's a fantastic hire. And I replied back, yeah, keeping J.J. was huge. And he goes, oh, that's a major reason why I, uh, I'm i as excited as I am because J.J. combined with him, I think, is going to be a fantastic team and the rest of the staff they've built and excited about where Bama baseball is going to go building off of what was uh, put in place last year, even though that, that roster obviously will look different. Yeah, you, it was a unique time because it was like the team was good, obviously, maybe this hosted a regional, went to a super regional. But it was, there was changes coming. There were a lot of new faces. Yeah. And like you said, Lucky, J.J. stuck around. Where, where is Mitch Gaspar? Is he at La Tech now? I know he was. He is, yeah. He is sure he at La Tech? Is. Still in Ruston. Uh, as a matter of fact, last year uh, when I drove to Austin because I wanted to, to drive to Austin for the football game, 
for a couple of reasons, but um, you drive through Ruston and I had it planned. Yeah. I stopped and, and hung out with, uh, with Mitch and Lane Burroughs, the head coach there who I've, I've known for a long time, got to spend 20, 30 minutes with him, then hop back on the interstate. His daughter, his daughter married Taylor Dugat, didn't she? Yeah, I think he did. She did. They're about to be parents. And yeah, uh, he'll be a, a second time granddad. Uh, his, his other daughter, Bray's, uh, I think, I, I'm sorry, Bray is the one that, that's married to Taylor. But the uh, the youngest daughter has a child as well. And and uh, so a second time granddad and he's doing really well. And uh, Mitch is a heck of a baseball coach, man. And, and uh, tickled that he's a place where uh, – they're having success. And, you know, we were there in, in Ruston three years 21, ago, I think. 21, yeah. 21 regional. Yeah. It was the first time when, when Brad took us to a regional for the first time since Mitch had us there on a pretty regular basis, but we went to, uh, to Ruston and played in the one there. So I knew where I was going when I got to town. That was nice. All right, Chris, last question here. You may have gotten this one before. I was trying to think of a little bit more, a little bit of a question here outside the box. What is kind of, from a broadcaster standpoint, I've always been interested. I've met a couple of other guys around the SEC, David Kellum at Ole Miss, uh, Andy Bertram a little bit at Auburn. What is kind of your relationship with your – by the way. What are some of your – what are the relationships with your counterparts, specifically in the SEC, but you could go across the country, like – is there a little bit yeah. jabbing here and there when y'all win? I mean, obviously, some of the fan no. sticks out a little bit. Like, what, what, what's kind of y'all's relationships day to day or know, even in the season? There's not much of that, especially with Andy, who is a very, very good friend. Because it, it here's the thing: losing impacts us so much, mm-hmm. and it's not an Alabama Auburn thing or an Alabama Ole Miss thing. In the case with David, it's when and I've joked with coaches about this over the years. Um, when we lose, I've told coaches, I said, here's how this works. I said, if you lose a game and you are in a restaurant after the game, people will smile politely at you and wave, but then they'll walk over to my table and talk about how bad you suck. I said, because they don't take into consideration. They'd never say that to your face, but they don't take into consideration. You and I might be friends. And they'll say, because they hear me do the games, they they associate me with it, you know, and, it, and it's a blessing in one sense that I've developed a relationship with them that they're that comfortable to say. But what they don't take into consideration is I may actually be friends with that coach. And, um, you know, you don't want to have to listen to you got to be respectful. Uh, but I've, I've dealt with this for years. Even when we don't lose, my wife will send me a text. When I'm doing sidelines, she'd send me a text. You know, what's wrong with us today during a football game? What's wrong with us today? Well, maybe we're up 10 to nothing midway through the first quarter. She goes, yeah, but we should have gotten a touchdown instead of a field goal that last drive. I'm like, I'll bring it up with Coach post game and tell him you're displeased with what's going on. <laughs> um, no, it's just, you know, that is kind of a cool thing. But we don't want to get a chance – to be upset ourselves when something's not going right because of everybody else's reaction. But the, the, the friendships you build really are important. And look, I'll give you a prime example. Um, The kick six at Auburn as an Alabama broadcaster and as a lifelong Alabama fan was one of the most disgusting things that I've ever 
had the displeasure of witnessing. Okay. But when the dust settled and we're about 48 hours removed and then some, because there was uh, show after show after show locally, but most of all nationally, mm -hmm. that was replaying Rod Bramlett's call. And I, I called Rod a few days later and I said, you know, I wish that it had never happened, but it did. And Rod, I know what it means to your career and how it has changed. It has changed things for you and how you're viewed by Auburn fans forever. Yeah. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful as a professional and as your friend that you did the moment justice yep. and that you, I said, I'm sick that it had to happen, but I'm happy for you that you'll have that. Now, little did we know that we'd lose Rod just a couple of years later and still miss him. But, you know, as a broadcaster, we don't control the moments that occur mm -hmm. and the opportunities that are there. You can only hope you get it right. I was telling somebody this story the other day, Dave, and I'll, I'll finish it with this. Um, actually, there's two things I want to do, but I'll, I'll this one first. You just hope you're ready for the moment. But prime example for me was the LSU game this year. I had a call where it, it, I don't write things out. I don't script anything out. Um, but Bryce Young makes this phenomenal play where he eludes about eight LSU players, finds a man downfield, connects, touchdown, and it's pretty late in the game. It's not the end of the game, but it's pretty late, and it puts Bama ahead. And, and I, you know, after he had zigged and zagged and, and um, turned what looked like it was going to be a truly negative, disastrous play into a touchdown. It comes out of my mouth. Houdini escapes again. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But nobody cares from a Bama perspective because we lost the game. You know, that call probably gets played a good bit, is remembered pretty well by a lot of people if we hang if. out with him. Correct. If Bama wins that game. At the same time, I've heard guys that just yell and scream when their team wins and fans will go, oh, what a great call. Really, from a professional standpoint, it wasn't that great. Yeah. But but they think it's great because their team won, and that's really what, truly what matters most. The other thing I will say to your original question, and this is the better answer in terms of the relationships, the night before I was going back in for my bypass surgery, you know, when I had the stroke, I was the last person to know I had the stroke because I had it in my sleep. Somebody saw me being wheeled into the hospital, tweeted it out, and it was all over social media before I ever woke up. And there was a lot of misinformation out there. And um, But anyway, I wanted to kind of be ahead of that with my bypass surgery that was scheduled for a Monday morning. And I prayed and worked all weekend on putting something together that I could send out and did at 5 a.m., or actually 4.59, as I walked into the hospital, hit send, posted it, and then shut my phone off and handed it to my wife because I needed to control the narrative on it, and I wanted people to understand what was going on so that there wouldn't be misinformation. Yep. So I did that. But the night before, 
there was probably a half dozen broadcasters. And among those were David Kellum and Andy Burcham that I texted and said, just want you to know what's going on. This is confidential, but I'm having surgery in the morning and I don't want you to hear it somewhere else. Yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to be fine. Um, and the big reason I did that with Andy, because he had just lost Rod a couple of months earlier and I didn't want there to be concerned on his yeah. part any more than it would be. Cause you're going to have concern about a friend, but I wanted to know exactly what was going on with that. And, and David even called me, um, you may recall there was a tragedy in, in Winston-Salem just before we started that super regional. ESPN had a producer that, mm -hmm. that died yeah. um, and delayed the start of the game because yeah. of what had transpired. And there was very little information that was going out, and it was just saying that somebody had passed away. And David reached out. He goes, brother, I'm just making sure you're all right. Yeah. I said, DK, I'm fine, and thank you. But that's – we all want our teams to win because it makes our lives so much better. But there are, there are a few of us that are really and truly friends. And while we may not celebrate their victories, yeah. games where our teams lose, we can still be happy for them that they get those opportunities in those moments. Man, that's all. That's awesome. That's a great response. I I just wanted to ask that. Like, I've always been interested to see what the relationship. I knew they were probably buddies, but also sometimes. Is yeah. the not the fanhood, but a little bit of the uh, who you work for gets involved. But I feel like that's sure. how it was in the football industry. Like you know, guys that work yeah. together, they keep up. There's, yeah. I mean, today I want to beat you, but still love you, man. Like kind of sure. kind of yeah. thing like that. Chris, yeah, I appreciate yeah. you joining us, man. I, I know you mean a lot a to a lot of people uh, at the University of Alabama. You do a phenomenal job, man. I know I look forward to listening to all your basketball, baseball broadcasts. Heck, even when I got the ESPN app, you're calling the game. What series you you calling the Ole Miss series this year? Who was it? You and uh, was you and, and somebody Lance else? Cormier. Yeah, Lance maybe Cormier, you and Lance Cormier. Yeah, yeah you we slid over and did that. You had to be a little neutral, more, a little more neutral in that one. Yeah, yeah <laughs> look, th those aren't the most fun to do because uh, you know it's nice and professional. It's a cool opportunity, and uh, but it is people that know me, you know where my heart is. I'm having yeah. to suppress it maybe a little bit during those broadcasts, but uh, those are fun to do. Well, Chris, appreciate you joining us, man. I know, I know you can do be doing a lot of other things, but appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for asking. Keep following us on Mach 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.